Hey, uh, do you want to make me moderator so I can bring people up and post the link? Sure, Katrina, no problem. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. Thank you. Sorry that I'm late. Oh, no problem. And it's yeah. earlier. Yeah, I can understand. It's it's the mid mid of the week, you know. Okay. Hi everyone. Um, let me ping in some people. Or is it okay if we like wait two minutes, or I'll yeah, of course. Ping yeah. in some people. Sure. Okay, perfect. Uh, I would do as well. Okay, uh, welcome everyone. Hi, Kiko. Hi, Denise. Of course, special thanks to Rupesh that he's presenting today. Go ahead, then. I just wanted to say hi, everybody. It's, uh, it's really fun to see Rupesh, who's been with us in, in the audience and on stage, but now he's a presenter. This is so cool. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I because I did some research and I, I thought it would be a nice idea to present and Katrina was really helpful like uh, during the process. Yeah, um, congratulations to your PhD. You, um, it was in January, right? Your defense, as I saw. Oh, that's right, yeah. It was uh, last January. Nice. So, uh, yeah, um, I think we can slowly start and um, by introducing you and um, we'll ask you the general question and people will start coming in. It usually takes <clears throat> around 10 minutes, but that's fine. We, we chat and um, ask you a few general questions before you start your, your presentation. So let's do let's start with that so 
Welcome everyone to the Science Society. We have our guest invited speaker that is also our member here. And as Denise said, um, um, you know, he comes to the stage, asks questions. So it's an honor to have you here today. And uh, let me give you an introduction. So um, Dr. Rupesh um, Gmeyer, is that right how I'm saying it? Oh. Yes, uh, you almost got it right. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Gimire. Okay, Gimire. He's a postdoctoral scholar at the University of California, San Diego. And um, he is a theoretical physicist. And uh, his work involves numerical calculations and data analysis and simulated real world areas. During his PhD, he gained experience in studying the effects of ultra-fast electromagnetic waves in two-dimensional materials. He uh, theoretically proposed a nanolaser based on the properties of localized surface plasmons, whose peculiar properties can be used for several real-world applications, such as cancer research and telecommunications. And um, he, for his postdoc, currently He's studying the effects of high-energy photons, electrons, in the treatment of malignant patients. And um, yeah, he did, as I said, um, he did his master, his Bachelor of Science in Trichandra. Um, and then he did uh, his Master of Science in Physics at Georgia State University. And his PhD in condensed metaphysics at Georgia State University. So yeah, it's a great honor and pleasure to have you here. Um, Denise, do you want to ask the, the general question first? Absolutely, it'd be my pleasure. So Rupesh, um, thanks for joining us as a presenter. It's uh, very fun to have you come from audience to presenting. And the first question we'd like to ask is, what was your journey to professional science? When did you uh, first realize that this is what you wanted to do? And uh, you can answer the question as broadly or narrowly as you want. Sometimes people take the five minute route, the 10 minute route, whatever you would like to disclose to us so that we can inspire future generations of scientists. Well, thanks uh, Katrina and uh, Denise. Yeah, uh, so I was like most of the people will say the same thing, but I was also like I was kind of curious about how things would work, how things work. Like you know, uh, I, I I used to like open up electronics, like look at the things inside the circuits and everything. Like uh, when I was like seven, eight, and I always wanted to know like reason behind like how it works. Like, Look, I read several magazines or like books and everything. But as I uh, went on with my studies, I found that probably physics is the best answer that that would uh, reasonably satisfy me, because uh, uh, you 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 come across so many interesting things. Uh, like, okay, why is why does this happen and this does not, right? And so I started like studying physics. And uh, so once I completed my 
uh, bachelor's degree. Uh, I joined a master's degree there. And then I came to U.S. because there was a really limited opportunity in Nepal uh, in terms of like how you want to go on with your research. And yeah, that, that's what, uh, and since then I'm like, you know, I have uh, finished my PhD. So I, I'm uh, like more like in the same field at this time. Yeah, that, that's, that's what my journey is. That's, I, that's what I can tell. Right on, thank you. That's a great answer. Um, Katarina, do you have anything else? No, thank you. That's a, that's a great answer. And um, yeah, please um, uh, go. The stage is yours for your presentation. Oh, thanks. So uh, yeah, I will now start my presentation. And uh, so the topic is nanospacer. Uh, uh, I'm I'm like uh, you know I, I think this is kind of big topic uh, when you just read the letters there. But what I'm, but in the next uh, few like slides, which I have here, you can download the slide. You can, I will uh, also mention the page number. So in the next few slides, uh, I will give the introduction of the field and what is nanospacer. It, it's slightly different field to what we have conversation in here. So let's start. And the outline is i will give an introduction to nanoplasmonics which is a field of optics in itself and then a spacer which is a, a laser that works in the principle of uh, of nanoplasmonics and i will since the uh, since i have decided to like introduce both of these terms so it will be relatively easier for you to grasp, grasp there and then I will go on to the nano spacer, which is the topic for today, where I will discuss like theoretical details and, you know, uh, the formalism uh, conclusion. And so in the introdu introduction, so uh, what is nanoplasmonics? So, uh, we discuss optical phenomena, like in terms of like photon uh, or electron. Uh, most popular is we look the electronic behavior in in the band gap uh, of the semiconductor and all those things. But here in nanoplasmonics, we we deal uh, with that those type of optical phenomena in near the metal surfaces, and there is reason why it needs to be a metal surface. And as it has nano in in front, you can assume that the dimension where this phenomena occur is really small. So the history behind it dates back to fourth century. It, it's a long time ago. <laughs> and probably we just have like uh, some artifact that, that, that are left right now. And one of these artifact is Lycurgus cup. Uh, the cool thing about this cup is it when you look it from one direction, it uh, it uh, shows one color, and when it look when you look it from the other direction, that is from transmitted light, say, it will uh, it, it will be seen as a different color, and that's uh, the presence of some nanoparticle inside the cup, which change the behavior uh, of uh, the light transmitted. Uh, so uh, people were able to harness that property of uh, nano nano 
plasmonics like long time ago like we can only imagine how long it was and uh, so if you have a gold nanoparticle uh, let's say you have different shapes of gold nanoparticle i'm looking at slide number five uh, one of them is rod set one of them is circular and two are tri triangle the the uh, the dark field images that you get from these uh, nanoparticle are of different colors uh, uh, our pre-assumption is that okay gold will appear like yellow but probably not if it's a nanoparticle it can be of different color uh, and okay these colors are cool right uh, you have a wide range of spectrum that looks fancy but what's the actual use of nanoplasmonics like why do we use it the reason it uh, it stems from is uh, how uh, like how sort of the distance or how uh, what limits you to confine the photon uh, or the electric field modes inside an object. So right now, if you use a two plane mirror and you try to obtain electric field mode inside it, right? So it should have minimum dimension of uh, hundred uh, like. 500 nanometer, which is shown in like figure six, uh, that we are limited by the by the uh, space between the mirror, and uh, that will kind of limit our ability to fabricate devices which work on very small dimensions, let's say nanoscale, because world is all about miniaturization right now. So it is possible, like okay light we can obtain electric field mode very high intensity electric field in a nano object by making use of special type of boson which is uh, called surface plasmons or localized surface plasmons which i will discuss later and yeah so what is a plasmon in the first place so uh, when the uh, electron density inside an object it vibrates in a metal it vibrates like with uh, a very high frequency uh, you will see it, it it like all the electron it kind of like you know forms a pattern uh, of oscillation uh, which is very high and it is independent of uh, uh, independent of any external uh, thing and it is characteristic of itself like of, of a certain metal so you say plasma frequency of gold is this, plasma frequency of silver is this. And, uh, and, uh, and we can't like really do anything about the plasma frequency because it's uh, ranges into uh, like higher than eight electron volt. So next thing we need a frequency or the mode of oscillation inside a metal, which can exist in uh, like in the visible range most preferably because we want to fabricate devices from that. And second important thing is it should be tunable. So if you cannot tune the frequency, like what is used, because you have to couple it with something, right? So uh, we use surface plasmons and localized surface plasmons. Now, plasma frequency, uh, yeah, plasmons are more like longitudinal waves is like sound waves. Uh, whereas the surface plasmas are transfer, uh, transverse waves. In slide eight, I have shown you, uh, I have uh, like put a figure of 
how the charge density inside a metal are separated. Like when you polarize the, when you shine a light, the charge density separate and they oscillate in the presence of the restoring forces, which are always there. And uh, since the charge density, it varies in a smaller scale, like much, much smaller scale, like nanoscale. So the electric field, which is there, uh, uh, can be used to confine light within that uh, nano regime instead of micrometer now. And so what is surface plasma? So you have excited, uh, so let's say you sign a light, uh, which is in X and G direction with a P polarized light. You have magnetic field in another direction. Then solving the boundary condition between the metal and dielectric interface you will see a condition where there will exist uh, waves along the surface of the metal. Now, let's say that this, uh, this, uh, these two mediums, like we don't know if it's metal yet, but the, the condition on which the wave sustains, it's such that the, uh, the object where the wave sustains should have a ne negative dielectric constant. That is why metal is the suitable choice on that. Now, these, these waves or these oscillations are kind of lossy because these are limited by uh, uh, like very high relaxation. And, uh, and the, uh, let's say it decays in G direction. If it travels in X direction, which is given by KX, where KX is spatial uh, wavelength or uh, wave vector, inverse of the wavelength, yeah. And this uh, kg is given by uh, the frequency of light, uh, something k naught is associated with the frequency of light, and also the direction it travels. So uh, Rupesh, just quickly yeah. to, uh, to uh, clarify. So uh, mm -hmm. from what direction access the light, uh, say the E field, uh, well, oh, oh, in what direction is the it's, light it's in the, the E field? It's in the XD plane. Uh, so it's a, it's a P polarized light, it's an XD plane. Magnetic field is just in the opposite side. So uh, the, if, if, if I'm imagining uh, light as, as mm -hmm. a, a uh, has a, you know, mm -hmm. it's a, 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 a torch. So the, mm -hmm. the, the, the light propagates in X direction? Oh yeah, the the light comes from the one plane, and it the waves to propagate in the x direction. The surface plasma wave, uh, which generates in the surface of the metal, it travels in the x direction. The field it decays in the g direction. Right, it's, it's, I, it's like the I, yeah. so so far uh, my difficulty is uh, I understand the. Um, the plasma wave propagate in direction X That's and right. it decays in, in a direction Z. I'm asking exactly. uh, in what direction the light, the light is being uh, sh shine uh, sh upon this uh, system. So from which direction and uh, from that, from that direction I can, mm -hmm. there's also the degree of freedom of uh, polarization, right? So. Oh, it, it's, it's, uh... Uh, it signs from the what do you call it from from the top direction, so it's it's within a plane light. So uh, one one component of the light vanishes. So how do you say it? Uh, so it's the y it's, it's direction. 
uh, it's, it's the y direction in this case. Yeah. And it's a... It's a y direction, but it has EX and EY. Uh, so if you have an incident light, it, ha it has EX component and EG component present there. So it's a plain light. Uh, so it, ha so it, has, it has both uh, component, mm -hmm. EX and e EZ? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so not uh, polarized. Mm -hmm. Rupesh, this is uh, probably a figure in the presentation. Is that right? Oh, yeah, this this is the introductory figure. This is yeah. uh, slides eight. Uh, uh, slide so eight. Yeah, the, the left figure. Yeah, thank you. Please continue. Okay. Okay, so uh, what we have is like, uh, in the wave vector with its uh, the surface plasma wave travels, that is uh, Kx, uh, now uh, is uh, much longer, like much, uh, uh, say, has a greater value uh, because it is now associated with uh, the dielectric which is present outside and, uh, and now it, uh, it can be modified. So you, you have shorter wavelength because if the wave vector is longer you'll have shorter wavelength for the same frequency and uh, let's say the wave vector is kind of like infinite that's where we define the plasma frequency use another type of plasmon is localized surface plasmon so we see the same behavior here you have light that uh, separates the electron density into positive and negative charges on two sides they oscillate in the presence. Uh, they oscillate in the presence of electro, uh, the uh, restoring force, uh, which uh, which uh, uh, has certain frequency, and this frequency is uh, totally dependent on uh, two factors. So one is the shape and size of the object. Like in nanoparticle, we saw different color. It so. It, it's because like what shape of the particle that is, you can change the frequency of resonance. So uh, in this uh, localized surface plasma, uh, this is the characteristic of this nanoparticle. The decay function uh, of the plasmonic field or how fast the field decays in the uh, metal sphere or uh, whatever the shape that is, is inversely proportional to the uh, dielectric uh, uh, permittivity of that metal in that given frequency. Uh, in slide 10, there is this representation of how the field will look inside the surface plasmon. So these are events and fields traveling along x direction. In LSP, localized surface plasmon, you have separation of dipole. Uh, so you have a dipole field. You can also have a quadrupole field, but dipole field is much more stronger. So you have fields on two sides there. And uh, let's study the feature of the nanoscopic system. Like, uh, okay, I said there is a confinement uh, within very small volume, and we can define it in terms of quality factor, which is how, uh, like, how many oscillations a electron like does within the given relaxation time we it's not that high as in case of uh, electronic system it's like 10 to 100 but what compensates it is the number of electron that is available it's, it's very high in terms of uh, in the nanoscopic system 
uh, also the volume is small. So all these characteristics, what you see here, gives a ideal scenario of a laser, a laser system because uh, you can make a really robust laser uh, if this field can be confined with like, you know, uh, considerable quality factor and you have all these uh, characteristics there. And applications are uh, wide ranging. So you can have it as a indicator because there is always a resonance uh, thing in there. So uh, whenever there is a resonance, you can tune into that uh, resonance and see the hotspot, uh, like in the diagnosis, imaging sensor, all these things. Also, you can have like, uh, what do you call it? You can make it as a switch, like, because uh, the resonance are mostly like delta function. And it can also work in detection of ligands and so, so many other different things. So, um, yeah, so detection of ligand is one of the application. The application which I'm going to focus here is a spacer. So you have a nano laser, which is small, like 30 nanometer wide or even lesser, but it's inside a living cell, which is, which can range from one to 100 microns probably. So uh, you can imagine the possibility is immense in this because uh, uh, this this uh, source of uh, laser or source of light inside a cell can be tuned in such a way that it can kill the cancer cell or it can you know uh, diagnose some disease and all these things. So let's talk about spacer. So what is a spacer? Uh, spacer is uh, like it stands for. Uh, I'm in slide number fourteen. It stands for surface plasma amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. So you will amplify surface plasma here uh, instead of photon, and uh, the theory is the same. You uh, you you will have uh, the same stimulated emission. So it's the counterpart of a laser in much smaller size. Let's see the laser, like uh, it's just a refresher, like how the laser will look like. You have a pumping source, you incident a light on the uh, gain, you have an electric field mode within the laser cavity. So once you pump the uh, population from ground state to say uh, excited state, it will have some fast relaxation, get into the metastable state and there will be spontaneous emission, and then there will be a stimulated emission, which will give a coherent beam of light, photons. That's our normal laser. It's, it's the foundation of what we, what we are today. Everything is based on laser. Another is phaser. Now, how is it related to the laser? In slide number 16, you will see that I have created, uh, I have uh, uh, like illustrated a, a cell, nano cell, which is a metal cell in the presence of dielectric. Now it can support plasmonic mode is the laser cavity will support the laser mode, right? And the source of gain is the quantum dots that are present outside. What we'll do is we will shine light on, an, in the, on the quantum dot which is the gain here, that will go into electron hole pair and which will relax to the exciton. Now, 
the exciton instead of uh, going uh, like uh, right now it's not a plasmon yet the exciton instead of uh, going uh, through a, a radiative decay which is like just like emit photon and go to the lower state now if it has a frequency comparable to the uh, to the plasmonic system outside it will send its energy to the plasmon which is present in the dielectric out, uh, core outside so exciton will pass the energy to the lsp and now this will create uh, a high plasmonic field which will which will in turn excite more uh, more of the quantum dot into electron hole pair and now you will see a laser like phenomena in a nanoscale so this is how spacer works for our system uh, what we do is we'll select a different geometry we are trying to harness the topological properties of this phaser so we have a metal system uh, slide number 17 which can support plasmonic mode and the electric field mode is given by the Legendre polynomial and let's concentrate to the dipole mode one second we also have a gain so we named it topological spacer which is a nano spacer now how do we introduce topological property there is by introducing topology in the gain uh, these materials like tmdc's are known for their topological uh, properties because of the presence of valleys so they have this k and k prime valley which have uh, the same energy or the transition frequency just uh, opposite and uh, the berry connection uh, is uh, which which is uh, how do you say it's, it's analogous to the magnetic field or the flux through the uh, through the uh, through the valleys is just opposite of each other so we can say if the very connection uh, very curvature of one k valley is one the other will be minus one so these these uh, there is a topology in the game of the tmdc how do we combine these two systems together to form a laser which we call a nano laser let's study that now to do that let's first see how the field will be inside the the uh, the nanospheroid which is the metal part so field uh, if i take a vertical cross section field is mostly centered around the uh, the two uh, extreme ends and on the other side i have uh, the dipole because uh, every time uh, we see the light matter interaction or if we want to couple something we see the field uh, that couples to the dipole of the other any uh, any other uh, material so we have a field distribution in a spheroid and a longitudinal field distribution i'll say and we have a dipole of mos2 um, this is dipole in one of the one valley in another valley it will just be different um, the field distribution in the uh, that was vertical cross section this is horizontal cross section the field will rotate with time because since it's a dipole field it will rotate in time also the dipole will rotate with time as well so uh, this is a some theoretical detail uh, to see like how we can 
uh, how we can uh, how we can like uh, compare those two plasma uh, compare the plasma frequency of the metal to the frequency of the transition of the gain so for that we will have uh, a parameter which is uh, which is proportional to the experimental frequency and we will get uh, sorry uh, Rupesh, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. which slide are you on now oh i'm in slide number 20. okay got it thank you yeah, it, it's uh, it's a theoretical detail, but I'm just trying to give you uh, like a, uh, you know a simple insight on that. So I have a, uh, I have a parameter which is s. Uh, one depends on the experimental uh, quantity, which is uh, omega. So you you find that s uh, experimentally, and s similarly you can find the value of that s n uh, by using the geometrical problem by using boundary condition and all this. Now, once you compare those those two, uh, you will you will be able to obtain the frequency of the pl surface plasmon, say omega sp, by changing the geometry of the cell. So, uh, you uh, basically, as I uh, explained before, but this is in the uh, theoretical way how we do that. We can change the shape and size of the uh, spheroid, say we can change the radius of the spheroid or height of the spheroid to change its surface plasma frequency. Uh, it is easily said, but to do this, we have to use this formalism. Uh, also, the loss factor are also you know, associated with this, which is given by those expressions. Uh, remove the equation aside, and let's see here. So you have a spherical cell, you have a TMDC, you have a transition frequency of omega two one. You have a frequency of rotation of omega s, uh, a surface plasma frequency or LSP omega sp in slide number twenty one. How do you make them equal? Is in my case omega two one was one point six six electron volt. So what I had to do was set the radius of this spheroid to twelve nanometer and the height of the spheroid to one point two nanometer. And that would do the, uh, and that would do the maths to equate these two uh, parameters. Yeah, obviously this will, will rotate in time as well. So the flowchart is given there, where you have a instant light, uh, any circularly polarized light. If it incidents on the, on the uh, TMDC like uh, to to the material which they have. Uh, Say, which have inversion, which break the inversion symmetry, you will have a valley polarization. So one of the valley will be populated, the other valley won't be populated. It was first demonstrated by Heinz in 2012, I guess. It was a really famous paper. And then uh, once you have the valley polarization, what we'll do is since this uh, metallic cell where there are plasmons in close proximity to the uh, to the TMDC, there's a direct coupling between the valley, which is excited, uh, and the electric field of the plasmon. So there is a coupling there. Now, this will, uh, this is called a direct coupling, but alongside, there is also a, also a chance of uh, excitation of the second valley of the TMDC by the same by the field of the same mode, uh, depending on what size of TMDC we choose. If the if the because 
our intuition of uh, or the our understanding of you know light of one polarity uh, exciting the value of one polarity is limited if uh, if we take a radius equals to zero but uh, right now we we have a field that doesn't just like act on the center point of the tmdc it's spreaded so there's a chance that key prime value will also be excited provided that tmdc is uh, big enough and uh, once that happens you will have both modes in generation so you have we'll have the plasmons in one mode and you will also have the plasmons in the other mode uh, that is uh, uh, to say it simply you will have a co-rotating plasmon in the system you will also have a counter rotating uh, plasmon in the system this depends on what size the tmdc is or what frequency uh, what is the pump frequency of the uh, of the uh, light that you sign on the tmdc and to study this light matter interaction slide number 23 we we describe it in terms of the hamiltonian so hamiltonian uh, is widely used in quantum mechanics uh, to see the energy of the system to study the interaction so here we 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 can separate Hamiltonian into three parts. One is gain, the Hamiltonian of the quantum dot, which is uh, edge gain, uh, slide number 23. And then you have the Hamiltonian of the nanosystem, S bar omega SP, M defines the dipole modes, plus and minus one. And there's the interaction Hamiltonian. For the, for the gain, we decided to uh, interpret the system uh, in the density matrix approach. So you have a density in the conduction band, you have a density of electron in the valence band, and you have two densities, uh, which is the coherent population uh, that are uh, slowly varying with the time. It is uh, more of a generalized approach because there can be another approach uh, 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 which does not account for this uh, coherent population and we can simply take the diagonal term. But this is more of a complete approach. Uh, the uh, the uh, what do you call it? the Hamiltonian of the uh, of the plasmonic system, uh, though it's a quantum mechanical term uh, because you have a creation and annihilation operator of plasmon. Here we'll adopt a classical approach. Unlike the uh, Hamiltonian of the gain, we uh, adopted some quantum mechanical approach. Here we are applying a classical approach, saying that okay. This uh, ampli uh, this uh, creation op operator is it's a slowly varying uh, uh, quantity. Like you have a magnitude and it slowly varies with the time. Um, so the number of plasmon that is generated in a system now can be given by the square of the amplitude of AM. That's the number of plasmon that is generated in the system and M defines the indices. So M say it can be co-rotating plasmon or counter-rotating plasmon. Next is the interaction Hamiltonian. So you have gain, you have plasmon, uh, and you have the interaction between the plasmon and the gain, which is uh, in slide number 25, you will see the interaction between the electric field and the dipole. And it is uh, sum over both the valleys, sum over 
all the area because we have to take all of them into account. Now, it gives us to a simple idea of how to solve this equation is the how the population changes in the gain, say, uh, say conduction band and valence band of the gain should be uh, equal to like uh, uh, the commutation with the uh, with the uh, with the Hamiltonian. So these are very common uh, equation in physics. Uh, any any evolution that you want to find, you should commit with the Hamiltonian. And that's what we have in slide number 26. So we have two equations, as you see. One is the change in the population of the gain, another change in the population of the plasmon. What you will notice here is the change in the population of the gain is also a proportional to the radius, like where it is located. Since the plasmon is formed in overall system, we we take it. Uh, we do not really associate with like okay, this plasmon is formed at this part of TMDT. This plasmon is formed at this pla this part. Uh, however, for uh, for the inversion of the gain, since we are talking about the valley, we have to uh, we have to say that okay, which area or which section of the gain has a uh, uh, inversion there or the population change. So that's why there is a R factor, which kind of complicates our problem. Uh, G here is the pumping uh, frequency uh, of the excitation light. And, uh, and this will uh, result in a very complicated equation, but once you solve it, you will get the number of plasmon in the system, you will get uh, the change in the inversion and so many different things. So let's go on to the results in slide number 29. And uh, this figure here, which is the coupling amplitude between the electric field and the, and the dipole. Uh, uh, so we are looking at different fields. So M equals to one and M equals to minus one, since it's a dipole field with the same value. So with one particular dipole. What you'll see is if the coupling is, uh, so in the center of the uh, valley or in the center of the TMDC, the coupling is, is expected, which is if you have M equals to one, valley, K, valley equals to one, you'll have all the coupling center in, within the footprint of the, uh, of the nano disk. So only the center area is where, uh, has a hotspot. However, as I said, the, there's a possibility of the a mode that are, uh, which are outside that can also be excited. Uh, that's what uh, so uh, so for large enough TMDC, which is greater than the size of twelve, as you see in Figure B, it will also have a hotspot there if the size of the TMDC is bigger. Now, this is the result in number thirty because that was all the explanation, like what process goes in there. You will have number NM like. Figure A, slide number 13, slide number 30, I'm sorry. You'll have a classic laser curve. This is a CW profile, uh, continuous wave profile, where you have a pumping frequency on one side and the number, which is the intensity on the other side. It is very common graph in all the laser and everything. So what you'll see here is, as you increase the pumping and it crosses a certain threshold, there is a generation of plasmons. 
in the case of light, there will be a generation of photon, but we were able to get this curve uh, for TMD size of 12 nanometer, a single curve plasmon in just one mode for a given frequency. So, and we use different TMDC as well, because TMDC can be MOS2, MOS2. And uh, the only difference between this TMDC is their band gap, which, and also the band structure, which changes its uh, transition dipole. And that's why we have this curve. They don't coincide in the same line, but they are different because their dipole is different. In, in next, uh, what will happen if you change the TMDC of different size? So for 12 nanometer, you only saw presence of one plasmon, that is one type of plasmon, M equals to one. But for 16 nanometer, well, you will see two plasmons now, two type of co-rotating and counter-rotating plasmons. This is strange because the light that you light that uh, that was uh, incident on the TMDC was only in one direction, that was say co-rotating. But now the plasmons that you have here exist in both these uh, uh, are of both these types, co-rotating and counter-rotating. And over to it, they are they have a different threshold. Well, th that's that makes it even more complicated, but interesting in a in a certain way. For eighteen, you have two types of plasmon uh, present: co-rotating, counter-rotating, but they have the same uh, they have the same threshold. So, figure A is a circularly polarized light. B is elliptically. C is elliptically polarized light. And uh, in figure number D, we try to see like how the threshold changes with the radius. And we see that the threshold, it merges at 18 nanometer. To see like why this happened, uh, we try to see the inversion, like how the, uh, you know, the availability of this small population, it changes in the gain. And abruptly it came to the, uh, uh, like, uh, Notice that the how the inversion changes for 16 nanometer in in case of uh, like there is a second uh, like the transition step in the inversion is different uh, to slide number 33 which is uh, which is for uh, 18 nanometer which is just in one step so uh, it is more related to the inversion phenomena because now uh, the TMDC is so large, it, the outer uh, 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 outer atoms or outer chromophore in the TMDC is now excited by the other mode of light, uh, other mode of plasmons. Now, uh, let's look at the tempor uh, temporal dynamics. Uh, that is how it changes with time. So plasmon, uh, if you have same initial number of plasmons, say, okay, I supply this system with a, a nine, 25 or 16 plasmon and see what will happen if I pump the whole system with 50 per picosecond, they all saturate to the same value. So the system is quite robust. It is no matter what the initial plasmon population is, it doesn't really matter because all it sees is 
like what the pumping frequency of light is present, and they all will saturate to one particular value. But however, if you change a different pump intensity, you will uh, the number of plasma will saturate to a different values. So that is in slide number uh, 34. And uh, these are all the, these are slide number 35 is the temporal dynamics of the same uh, phenomena of the classical uh, continuous wave profile that I showed. So for 14 nanometer, you only have one more. For 16 nanometer, you'll have two different lines given by solid and dotted line. And 18 nanometer, you'll also have two different lines, which is pretty consistent with what we have in the continuous wave, but now in temporal, it is uh, also the same. The uh, major, uh, we also try to uh, understand the far field radiation. Uh, since there was, so we picked a case where there were two threshold, two modes. Okay, what happens? So we looked, uh, let's, let's just pump it by 50 picosecond, 49 picosecond. We, we saw a circularly polarized light, which only has one mode in, a, in the dipole radiation. When we checked, uh, okay, what happens in the 70 picosecond, which is well past the threshold for both those modes, we saw an elliptically polarized light. And uh, that's why uh, that's what uh, the result is consistent about, like what we observed before. And this is the flow chart, like uh, not the flow chart, it's the result chart, I would say, uh, just a cover picture, uh, where you sign one light, you get uh, another type of light uh, based on what type, uh, what size CMDC that you use. And these are the conclusions. Uh, the first conclusion is, the conclusion are all based on the radius of TMDC right now, because for a small radius, uh, uh, K and K prime values are mainly coupled to the uh, co-rotating mode. Uh, for example, K value is coupled, uh, uh, coupled to the M1 mode. So there is only direct coupling there. Uh, for larger radius, uh, there is uh, also cross-coupling uh, between one mode and the other value. And changing the pump uh, strength, we can, okay, we, if we change the pump strength, we can change the handedness of the far field because for a smaller value of pumping, there was field in one rotate uh, one uh, rotation like however for uh, for this uh, higher uh, value of pumping uh, we saw electrically polarized so yeah the it it also depends on the pump strength and now due to all these properties topological nanospheres can be used for near field spectroscopy because now it can take circularly polarized light as an input and uh, and then you can get a desired light as an output. So it does work in spectroscopy, hopefully. And there is uh, also sensing applications since it's also related to the field. And these are some of the paper we published at the same uh, with these results. And thank you so much. Oh, there's acknowledgement for yeah my professor who passed away. Uh, uh, and uh, Dr. Mark Stockman and Dr. Apalto, who I'm still working with, and I'd also thank, uh, like to thank the funding agencies. Uh, Dr. Wu was a postdoc, and he was really helpful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for this amazing presentation. It's um, it's quite a lot of work that you did. It's, it's very impressive. Uh, congratulations again.
and for those papers that you published during your PhD. Um, so yeah, if um, anyone has questions, please flash your mic um, or come up to the stage, raise your hand. And um, yeah, go ahead. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to pretend like I know everything that you said because I don't know a lot of physics, but I'm trying to understand. So is it that these like nanoplasma, plas I don't know how to say it, uh, these like nanoplasmic plasma particles? Nanoplasmonic. Yeah, pla yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, is it that they like their interaction with the light is like taking uh, like taking energy from the light so the wavelength gets longer? Is, is that like kind of like the like what's happening? Uh, yes, it's, it's mostly you take the energy from the light, but what distance you need to concentrate the, uh, the, the light field. So uh, if you can have a photonic cavity, you can take the energy from the light, but you are, you will still have to spend the considerable length there uh, in terms of hundreds of nanometer, but uh, this one creates the same high field in the shorter distance. Uh, yeah, it is excited by the external light. That's right. So is it like certain, cause like what really kind of got me like trying to pay attention, it was like the, uh, that in the beginning of your presentation, you had like a, a jar that was like green on one side and red on the other. So it's, it's to me saying that like, you kind of discovered the, the method to how that's happening, but this is kind of like a natural phenomena. So like, my question is, is this something that's like, like um, specifics to like, like solids or, or can like a material behave like this in like a gaseous form, you know what I'm saying? Okay, uh, to give you an answer in short, uh, it's, uh, it's related to metal nanoparticle. Nanoparticle, they are very small particle which you cannot see, but they behave in a way that is quite different to their bulk form. So you have a huge chunk of gold, it acts totally different to what a nanoparticle of the same gold will act, uh, because in terms of like how it vibrates, in terms of how it absorbs the light, Right, that's why you see different color. And since that artifact which I showed in the beginning had a different, uh, had nanoparticle embedded inside it, they were absorbing light in a different pattern and, and had a resonance uh, frequency that, are, that were different. So they gave different color. I hope that answers. Yeah, yeah, thank you. No problem. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Rupesh, uh, yeah, uh, also, I mean, uh, uh, congratulations, I mean, on the, you know, your research and PhD work is, uh, I think, I think you're lucky, I mean, you got uh, such a deep dive, you know, uh, on the, such an interesting, amazing, you know, uh, area of uh, physics. So, yeah, as well, you know, I'm not, uh, 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 you know, getting all the, uh, the material you're trying to communicate, but uh, just uh, trying to learn and uh, um, 
I, my question is the I have a, a a couple of questions, but I'll just just you know, you know first uh, try to understand your work better. So uh, you know, I mean by have do you have a, a, a sort of a phase uh, plot for the two uh, controlling parameters, the gain and the size, so that uh, uh, and uh, could you just repeat what? Uh, so there seems to be the merging of the threshold of G. And your uh, and but also you know uh, as you increase the size, and uh, so I get partially the picture of uh, because the what was the physics due to you know uh, uh, there's something going on with uh, the uh, the exciting you know uh, 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 the coupling right so to, with the the valley that how uh, strong and uh, seems as you know the uh, if the size gets larger, somehow the both uh, plus one and minus one. Uh, well, that's the same it, as well for G, right? So I, I, I'm I'm not getting that part very uh, clear. Could you uh, go into a little bit more? Yes, Frank. Uh, that's an excellent question. Uh, to be honest, like uh, I wasn't really expecting. Uh, uh, about uh, this question, but I'm really happy to answer. So what happens here is, uh, let's go to the slide where we had fields, and I can maybe hint you on that, the, the flowchart. Let me see where that is. Yeah, it's in slide number 22. So if you follow that, you will see, uh, so we, we all understand the direct coupling here between K, uh, K Valley and one of the mode of the Plasmon, uh, let's say uh, you you excite the K value, which which excites uh, M equals to one mode. That that is what we all agree on, and that is uh, pretty obvious. But the field in M one mode, which is present there, does couple to K prime value of the TMDC. Uh, Seems like it does not. So, so the, 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 yeah. the coupling, the, the yeah. physics of the coupling yeah. is due to the material. Yes, yeah, so, so could you just a little bit more on the coupling? Oh, okay. Is that the, the, the off that diagonal uh, okay. uh, 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 makes, makes right. matrix? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The coupling, though it looks unphysical because m equals to one, coupling with the alternate value. But uh, keep in mind that the one-to-one -one coupling is only uh, limited to the center of the uh, TMDC disk. So if if you go like outward, which is uh, very far away from the center, which is in the region uh, like more than the footprint of the nano disk, uh, that's where two mode come. The the mode can uh, couple to its uh, you know the counter rotating mode because uh, we are not looking at, uh, at r equals to zero anymore. We are looking far away, and that's why the, the size of TMDC, it does matter uh, uh, in a sense that if it's sufficiently large enough size, you will have enough number of gain chromophore, right, gain chromophore in the region that is, uh, uh, that is outside, and that can also produce the plasmons. Uh, so to say why they have different thresholds and why some of them have same thresholds. 
if they are if the TMDC is very large, then uh, then there will be enough number of gain chromophore there already there. So all the threshold uh, that, that's in there, like they will come at the same time uh, uh, since uh, the process comes simultaneously. However, if you only have limited number of gain, gain, gain chromophore, uh, but uh, if you have like say 14 nanometer size, 12 nanometer being the size of TMDC, let's say 14 nanometer, 12 nanometer being the size of nanodisc, if you have say 14 nanometer TMDC, in that region, uh, you won't have like uh, uh, affluent number of, uh, like large number of gain, but there are limited number of gain which are still excited by the K prime. Uh, but for that, uh, to, for the generation of those gain, you still need to pump the uh, rally, right? So it does depend on the pumping frequency now. Uh, I think I can explain you better than that, but uh, Frank, do you get the idea or? Yeah, uh, I think I get a, 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 a clue type of, I'll go, I'll, you know, I'll follow up with that. I, 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 I'm really happy to, you know, contact with you, uh, contact with you and, you know, uh, like explain this as much as I can. Great. I mean, appreciate Thanks, it. I'll, I'll listen. That's, that's a great question. Yeah, mm -hmm. thank you. So thank you so much, Rupesh. That was a wonderful work. And my question from you, specifically in the biological system, because I can see that you just uh, talk about detection of the binding of ligands in a molecule. And in the same time, I can see the polarization inside the nucleus. And in another hand, you talk about the co-rotating versus counter-rotating. And my question from you, after applying all of those regimen to the molecule, or you call it a spacer or such a thing. So for the second one, do we still considering the same rules that you have, including the radius and excitation and the, I mean, pumping pressure and all of those things or not in a biological system? Uh, Dr. Shah, yeah, th thank you for the question. Uh, the thing is, in order to uh, work, uh, make things work to a, a certain frequency, uh, so if you sign say certain uh, like certain frequency light and you want the system to be responsive, you have to match the fre frequency of that system to the incoming light. So that's the reason why we change the shape and size and so many things of that uh, system. So yeah, that's a characteristic of the system. That's the way to tune its frequency. And oftentimes it is uh, it's a fact that you can't achieve everything with the linearly polarized light so you can you need to have a circularly polarized light and which uh, uh, and you need to have a system which accepts the circularly polarized light and emits amplifies it because uh, uh, there can be some molecules which are responsive to the circular uh, to, to, to those type of light and yeah, this system can be useful for those. So it's still, the, you want to say we have the yeah. same domain or we should introduce the spurs in the same domain that you just introduced? For example, for the omega, you have a range, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, for uh, spurs, we have the same thing? Yeah, the, the domain, uh, it, it, it's, uh, right now it's in the visible to the near ultraviolet range. Uh, which is uh, 
which is where most of the things work, but you know, changing the uh, shape and size, the domain can be adjusted. It's more about adjusting the frequency. So is that what you're asking? Yes, I mean, uh, most of my question, because everything is, I mean, makes sense for me, uh, instead of if we wanna have another spacer in the right. same time after applying the first one. And why I'm asking, because for example, for some of the, I mean, approaching in a level of the DNA, which we have a expression inside the DNA and we can just bind in this spacer. Uh, so I think that it does make a difference for whatever we have as a ligon in the surface versus whatever we have inside the cell. That's why I just try to get an understanding how these two uh, kind of spacer react to each other. Do we still have a co-rotation or counter-rotation and all of those, I mean, radius and all of those rules gonna work out for that or not? So maybe oh, that's a new question. So, so, so yeah, I, I, I can like understand if you wanna put like two spacer at the same time, it's highly unlikely that they will react with each other because uh, the uh, the distance between them is so large in terms of nanoplasmonic. It's a very localized system. Uh, so, but uh, however, the characteristic of the uh, spacer, which is uh, the counter rotation or just being uh, the frequency, all these things, they will still be valid for that system. So yeah, that that's my uh, though it's not experimentally tested. That's my assumption on that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, I guess a related question. The uh, so the twelve nanometer size is that a so it you 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 design that a, a based on some uh, insight of you know uh, after computation already or you uh, you somehow you, you know, from the previous literature you you think that's a, a critical and also the drawing seems the field itself given the intensity uh, gradient so seems the red reddish is still smaller, uh, well contained in your, so there's some uh, leeway that for your design. Is that a meaningful question? Hello? Are you asking me, Frank? No, I'm, I'm not. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Uh, I was muted, I'm sorry. So uh, first question is kind of obvious because uh, we did wanted to match the frequency with the frequency of TMDC so the only way is to you know change the size of the uh, spacer beforehand because we wanted to it to uh, to couple to the TMDC. So yeah, uh, that was uh, uh, based. Uh, we did some calculation and said okay, if you set it to twelve nanometer, you set the height to one point two nanometer. Well, it will couple to the TMDC. First question. Right. This is this is the the, the process mm -hmm. when you say you mentioned the, the design to couple yeah. the. The, the exciton and the, to the uh, the the, the uh, what do you call it plasma frequency that, that's right okay uh, okay so that's the, the design process your second question again the second question is where I was so the, a little bit lost so, mm -hmm. right so, I mean uh, I mean sure you will <laughs> and with, without the you know understanding the uh, I mean my um, still you know the intensity scale of your you know picture that you show there's a very red 
uh, area that uh, you know you show the uh, uh, M1, uh, you know K. Uh, then they're uh, surrounded by a bluish uh, uh, periphery uh, uh, circle, right? So, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, uh, first of all, so uh, just to make sure, I'm looking at the. Uh, so this plot is is a, the the axes are uh, are length, right? So it's a squarish uh, uh, x and y, both that's, nanometers. That's right. Mm -hmm. And uh, but this is a frequency domain, or what? Sorry. I... <laughs> oh, oh the, the, this is not a frequency domain. This is a real space. Okay, so this corresponds to the your. You know, uh, looking down on uh, on your uh, nano uh, the the uh, uh, space room. Yeah, this is uh, the uh, this is the real space representation of TMDC, where you have a TMDC of like uh, say right now we have a fifteen nanometer or a little bit bigger radius, right? Uh, TMDC, you can see that, and uh, the most of the coupling between the TMDC and that electric field in Figure A, which is for one mode, and the uh, and the one valley is centered around the within the twelve nanometer area. Uh, you said, why is there a another blue line, which is outside, and there is a yellowish line again, uh, yellowish circle again? It's it's because uh, the Red hotspot, which lies within the uh, within the twelve nanometer, or which is in the center, is due to the coupling with the one mode. Uh, however, there is a cross coupling term uh, that uh, that causes the appearance of that uh, glow in the outer uh, area. That's the reason why. Okay. So if if uh, you you get even larger, say, uh, then you have the bluish circle. Uh, I mean, uh, in the interior somehow. Yeah, because uh, with one more, it will have uh, a a what do you call it? This bright red. With the other more, you will have a purple circle because uh, the coupling is essentially absent there. Uh, however, these uh, rings on the outer areas, like in say ten to twelve nanometer rings, which are outside those those uh, red or those blue areas, are due to the cross coupling. Right, got it. Thank you. Uh, I have a question. So um, in the end, you talk about um, the left and the right um, circularly polarized light um, and left um, elliptically polarized light. Um, does it... So um, maybe I'm outing that I'm not understanding it well enough. But does... Um, Either one has a different application for visualizing different type of materials, or uh, proteins and so on. Like does or are those 
or it it doesn't does it matter like um which um way um the the circulation goes for imaging um or it doesn't matter um i think it, it does matter uh, it depends on uh, the choice of materials that you that you want this nano nano uh, spacer to kind of uh, interact with uh, uh, so mostly for uh, for for materials which are kind of you know more uh, uh, susceptible to some certain handedness of light it can be useful uh, if if you want a there to be a source of electrically polarized light by signing uh, circularly polarized light uh, that can be uh, helpful or uh, it can also be used as a as a, as a on uh, on and off switch uh, some sort of okay we are in this barrier so let's cut off the elliptically polarized light it's full circular but based on okay this we have certain environment outside so that will change the handedness of light uh, yeah possibilities can be there but we haven't like really thought it in terms of like uh, uh, the uh, uh, like you know its application on those area we were mostly looking at okay you sign one circular polarized light you get a different light that can be uh, really good for some signal or some sort of thing and at the same time if you can you know uh, if you can really interact with some molecule that would also be fine might be useful but let's, that's still uh, up for consideration and how fast would the switch be do, would it also work for different colors like uh, you want to say um like you want to switch between let's say um fluorescent proteins or some sort of fluorescence um in a biological system would you be able to switch fast between the the different right or left hand uh, theoretically with some modification probably yes because we can see in the dielectric environment and that would that will create a shift in the frequency and but i'm not really sure the range of fluorescence or the, the, like what range it goes there uh fluorescence uh really haven't thought about it uh and we're i'm looking at like normal transitions uh yet I still need to think more about on that front, but that, that's the an excellent question. Thanks. Yeah, I was thinking about threat imaging, where you basically have two different, you have two different fluorescent proteins, and if um let's say some sort of ion like chloride comes, um, their fluorescent level changes. And then you calculate the ratio. But for threat imaging, you would it would be ideal to some people, you know, either you you have two detectors, or I think it would be maybe more accurate to use this type of a left hand and right hand and distinguish it 
uh, by that. But in order to have like a good detection, the switching would need to be relatively fast. But I'm not sure if it's even possible to image those proteins separately enough to, to calculate the ratio then. Um, all I can see in this uh, this uh, thing is this uh, the process is really fast. Like uh, it's uh, it's in the range of uh, electron volts, so everything uh, is like the speed is not a question. Would not run be a question here. Uh, the thing is, plasmon they sustain uh, for time enough they can. Uh, they can get the input, and uh, other than that, it's it's really fast. Uh, yeah, but uh, as really? I said, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, go. And um, do you think this would work for um, tissue that's alive, for neural tissue that's alive? Oh, yeah, the neural tissue is one very challenging thing because uh, the this thing, this phaser. Uh, which in the previous form, which is a linear spacer, I would say, the sign light, it was tested on rats. And uh, well, it was successful uh, in diagnosing the cancer cell, even, you know, killing the cell, but the, always there is a chance that the energy that you supply uh, through excitation is a little bit higher. It's, it's like, I think it's uh, one order higher uh, two, uh, like two orders of magnitude higher than uh, one order magnitude higher than the permissible limit. Uh, yeah, so for the neural tissue, I'm not quite sure, but we did discuss about like what are the human implications of this thing. And uh, since the guidelines are really strict, uh, yeah, it, though, uh, you know, if you work on lower frequency range, it can be uh, probably useful by suitable choice of uh, the gain and something. Yeah. Uh, as you, as I said, uh, haven't been tested yet. So. Yeah, I would, yeah, for maybe in vivo, maybe it's too damaging, you know, unless you have like a tumor in the brain, maybe, I don't know how good it will go through the skull, but I was thinking about for research, purposes and when you have um, cell cultures or to look at basic uh, science questions and neural tissue it could be interesting to yeah, that, that would like, be challenging in that front yeah in uh, for tumor case like you, you need high high intensity beams and all this thing but it's it's not that high either like is in photon or like because i've been working with this linear accelerators mm -hmm. you know it's not that high for sure, it's it's a normal visible spectrum, uh, but uh, let's see. <laughs> I, yeah, I it's it can be useful to have something that's very fast, right? I think most of the time we have, and especially the switching. If you have a way to switch really fast, so how we switch between um, different types of excitation is most of the time we you have then two different lasers or and then you have to change the shutter so the shutter is pretty slow or you have to use um excitation and then close the excitation part with the shutter 
to then do the imaging and there's always a delay that is bad because you know some some responses in the neural tissue is really fast so Mm, I think that's the interesting part. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, right? It, the switching, like, it will be a same problem in this. The only edge this uh, this thing has over the other thing is it can really, uh, like, be a source of field or it can act as a micro source of, you know, very high intensity field. Um, no, nano source of high intensity field. So uh, but that might not be possible for any other uh, any other system, and might be used as a signature because well, uh, the light passes through one medium. Probably that will change the frequency of the light. It still can see like how the laser is excited in that medium, and you can probably sense the system. So that's the. Uh, I'd say very basic idea, but can tell more. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much, though. Um, yeah, does anyone have any questions? I see Abyss. Welcome, Abyss. How are you today? You want to ask a question? Come up to the stage or anyone else? Well, uh, <laughs> if I may, I mean, the uh, 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 so for the application side, um, the uh, so so your uh, research essentially uh, adding to the tool sets of already available the near field uh, uh, I mean uh, uh, all sorts of waves so in your so your I mean research will enable for the chiral uh, kind of a uh, chirality characterization of the uh, molecules I mean maybe I mean in vivo is hard but in vitro is already doable, right? So have you, um, what are the limitations? I mean, the, 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 the roadblocks uh, from your uh, physics uh, material research to device, say the temperature, uh, I haven't, you know, seen you mentioned temperature seems to be uh, a lesser, uh, say the phonons and the, the environment and uh, the thermal and dissipation is all uh, not very challenging, right? So I'm just uh, trying to understand the uh, potential. Okay, the system is uh, kind of like uh, robust to uh, several different things, like changing the environment because it's so localized, and it will only look at the environment which is in the right vicinity around it. But however, there is a temperature factor which we didn't account because we are looking TMDT there and TMDC property does change with temperature quite a lot. So yeah, we also need to look at uh, the distribution, uh, with respect to the formal distribution and all those with respect to the temperature. Uh, yeah, that's one of the hurdles, but uh, that might change the characteristic, but still, you know, the it might still be viable uh, in that front. Uh, just uh, maintain the issue. Uh, Abyss, I saw Abyss uh, uh, raise, but I could, couldn't pull him up. Maybe uh, some some bug of the room. Yeah, I also tried. Uh... Okay, he he's yeah. Um... Maybe exit yeah, I... and come back and uh, do one 
uh, Abyss One China. Yeah, I think it's a bug because I tried also earlier to pull up another person that raised the hands. Yeah, I did uh, ask Jason, but he is still not here. Yeah, Dakota, I also tried to bring you up, but it doesn't Me work. Me too, yeah. Seems, seems uh, uh, oh, it's Dakota buggy. Oh, Dakota not work. Hi, Dakota, check, how are check, you? Check, check, one, two. I'm doing well, yourself? How is everyone? Hello, Wonderful. world. Thank you. <laughs> Hello. Glad that uh, glitch is over with. Um, thanks for having me. Thank you for presenting, Rupesh. I joined a little late, but um, if I understand right, you're using uh, kind of the principle of LiDAR, if I'm understanding right, at the nanoscopic level, um, using light to excite a emission of a particle that you're then measuring. Um, and using visible light specifically, have you looked into submillimeter and terahertz imaging with uh, um, detectors made from metamaterials um, such as graphene and boron nitride? Uh, uh, not really, because uh, yeah, the first part of what you said is it's it's, it's sort of right because we're looking at the emission of the light from the uh, from the spacer. But uh, it is, it should be in the visible region, and uh, it, it, it's uh, the the thing is the signature of this light due to the presence of like number of plasmons, the intensity of light is uh, it, it can be easily detectable compared to like what you have like the low intensity light. So uh, it, I am not sure like how to answer your question on that. But uh, probably we haven't really tried or tested on those fronts. Thank you. That answers it. Um, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, Abyss. At work. How are you today? Hi, Karen. Hi, everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, I've been having technical difficulties yet. Um, yeah, great work. I'm actually trying to catch up on like the presentation, but it seems very interesting. And um, I guess like this is sort of like a cursory question. I don't know if this is um, sort of touched upon your presentation and I apologize for if it's been repeated or if it's out of scope, but I was gonna base off of what Frank was saying that there are some biomedical imaging techniques that actually operate on thermal confinement. So I was wondering if you actually also consider that um, to be sort of like a contrasting agent when you're mapping out, um, you know, those small part of like cellular, um, uh, like organelles or, you know, small molecules in the, in, in, in living tissue. Uh, yeah, thanks, Abyss. So, yeah, that, that's one of the prospects, like we can uh, probably look into that direction as well. But uh, previously, the, the thing that is holding uh, uh, us from like uh, higher temperature at this time is because we have used TMDC. Uh, in, in case of spherical uh, geometry where they use dye is a gain of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the source of the radiation that was uh, that could be that could fit in any uh, environment. But now since we are using TMDC, it has to be 
mod modulated or the band character characteristics will be modulated for that thermal environment as well. That's that's what I think. Gotcha. Thank you. Yeah, it's also interesting to see, it would be also interesting to see if you could um, um, monitor with this um, right versus left um, proteins and the switching of that. Um, that would be another very interesting application because it's really not easy to monitor, but I know that with, mm, I think with the system you, you could, uh, because it's also so fast. So mm, that would be another interesting application. And the other thing is, I think you mentioned it in the presentation for devices. Do you think this could be also a good way to monitor things like um, what's going on in in the blood uh, with sensors on the on the watch or something to get more information about the current, let's say, glucose levels and and other information like that, maybe. Yeah, those all those things they they come down to the uh, to the to the same thing uh, that is uh, how the phaser will you know interact with the molecule or like how can we integrate the 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 phaser uh, like uh, right now it's it's a source of radiation it's a source of uh, 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 so it's some system which amplifies the light or and changes the handed handedness of light. Uh, however, uh, with the introduction of say, uh, say proteins, uh, uh, which uh, which can be you know uh, stimulated by certain helicity uh, or certain rotation uh, or placing it is in a in a blood uh, medium or in like a chips or something, it's it's a whole different. Uh, like biology is kind of, I would say it's kind of hard since the setup is a little bit uh, difficult to place inside a living cell, but in a more like in a controlled environment, uh, it can be very beneficial, I think so. Oh, do you know what, uh, do you guys remember we had the, the quantum battery charging, Frank? Um, where they said you would need a pretty strong laser for quantum battery to charge quantum batteries fast wouldn't this be like the perfect laser for it since it's um it's amplifying basically the 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 and it's quite you know um focused and quite strong laser so wouldn't this be ideal for quantum uh, battery charging. Oh, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I mean the. Uh, so this is actually a very uh, exciting uh, uh, thoughts because on this platform, Katarina, I mean, <laughs> kudos to you. I mean, you have uh, brought so many, you know, uh, 
such a diverse, you know, uh, all uh, scientists from all fields, you know, presenting here. I mean, in same same time, you know, the, the vibes, some vibrations in the broadcast to the entire world. So, yeah. So the it, what 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 would how you know powerful it would be if all the researchers start you know get uh, interacting with each other. It's just amazing. But on uh, just you know uh, you you got me to think of, about this uh, very exciting uh, possibility. Uh, for the uh, on that talk, I remember what they're proposing is the. Uh, to me, I didn't attend your recap room, so I missed the. But uh, uh, my version of a uh, take a takeaway uh, from that talk is the the author was able to uh, the author proposed the way of charging uh, like a qubit, uh, like a coherent qubit systems that are uh, in a way that are very similar to quantum computing that uh, it can uh, have a Kind of a quantum dominant uh, uh, power, right? So, uh, uh, say speed, uh, comparing to the classical way of uh, uh, charging. Yeah. So that's a, essentially they. It's a quantum, um, and also uh, powered by laser. So if uh, I think it's combined with uh, this research, I mean, I don't know the the, the range of the uh, the power. How, how do they compare? But uh, yeah, with a powering with a uh, these uh, pl uh, pl what do you call the the spacer uh, type of laser? I think it's uh, definitely uh, very interesting. Uh, since the other one is very low temperature, uh, yeah, I think probably it's uh, it's a possible possibility. Very yeah, interesting. Oh, by the yeah. way, how uh, for for like... for uh, Rupesh, when you say spacer, are we thinking about uh, uh, exactly the same like a laser that they, they're very coherent and uh, very low spread in? Oh uh... uh, yes, uh, they are. Uh, the spreading is even more lower than that of the normal laser. The bandwidth is very sharp because it uh, it is. Uh, very much frequency dependent, so it has very sharp peak. That's perfect. Ah, I wish. Were you here, Rupesh? No, maybe. But Abyss was flashing, so please go. Yeah, I mean, I, I was gonna say that that's actually a good idea. I was gonna mirror what Frank was saying, but um, I don't think they have weeded out the technical difficulties of, um, you know actually deploying or at least like you know implementing that sort of charger uh, i guess like they wanted to show some kind of uh, proof of concept or at least like from theoretical perspective that it is possible to charge um a, you know batteries at a much faster rate than, than the traditional ones by by employing the you know um the quantum coherence and the coherence um uh approach so so yeah i guess like presenting this idea to them would be a very interesting one um but yeah but but my impression from at least like what i gathered from that uh, brief discussion i had with them was that they are kind of focusing on the theoretical aspect of it for the most part yeah yeah the practical one was um oh it's eli up or i oh there you are 
I don't know, Eli, if you were here for the quantum battery charging. So the practical work was a partially done by another team and they built upon and um, yeah, it, it was theoretical work. So you basically um, um, by the end, basically you get the N uh, factor of um, a faster uh, charging. So if you have like 10, um, the battery consists of 10 uh, sub, um, I don't know what the name is right now. Qubits effectively. Yeah, then you are 10 times faster than a regular battery. And if it's like 7,000, what would probably be needed for uh, Tesla, at least that's what was in the presentation. I think it was 7,200 or so. Then it's by the factor of 7,200. So instead of charging for 10 hours, they said you could charge for like two minutes or something. And but but the, the key thing yeah. is using one charger, right? Because right now we can just do like 7,000 smaller cells and 7,000 uh, charging circuits yeah. and uh, go 7,000 times as fast. And that's why I'm saying, and they said you would need a laser, a very strong one and a very precise one. That's why I said Rupert's laser is perfect maybe for that. I'm not sure, Eli, if you would agree because I'm not an expert. But uh, I think they were very open to come back anyways. So, um, yeah, I could arrange. We could arrange for like a combined meeting maybe. That's in fact really interesting. I would like to like uh, read about their research. What what, what... Uh, that is like seems like it's like manipulation of qubits, but like what those qubits are, what system those qubits are in, and uh, and what scale do that work? Do they work? If because uh, plasmonic system, the benefit is it uh, it, it it is a small source has very localized uh, uh, the what you call it the output. Uh, but I, I don't know much about their talk. Unfortunately, I missed it because I was really busy. <laughs> I would like to, I, I would be happy to, you know, like uh, read about it. Probably I'll search it in the internet. Maybe I can find it. Oh, I'll send you the paper and the presentation. That's not a problem. Well, that's weird. Thanks. Next time, the <laughs> rooks, you know. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll send it to you. <laughs> Uh, let me, let me, so if anyone else also wants to know what we are talking about, I'll share the link also in the chat for their presentation and for their paper. Since it wasn't open access, I have it on my drive, so. Yeah, I think, uh, Katrina, maybe one, one of the, these days in the future, we can have a, a round table type of a, you know, bumping ideas from the you know previous uh, speakers on stage and uh, presenters, and uh, have them. I mean, yeah. I mean, so so far, the talks has been uh, mostly in physics, neuroscience, and uh, both communities are looking forward to you know talking to each other for application and the theory, right? So and the tools. I think that would be a uh, beneficial for for all and also for the audience as well.
So that would be uh, very interesting. As you were looking, so I'm just adding this uh, thought. Yeah, I agree also. Yeah, I was planning to do that maybe after the summer to invite people back, speakers back in a team so that have overlapping interests and that don't, they don't know from each other always. So, uh, for example, we taught the physics room we had uh, this week, right? They didn't know about uh, Enrico Rinaldi's work and... Um, and the guest speaker we had from Hong Kong, Dr. Uh, was it Dr. Chen about Chen. The, Dr. Yeah, Chen. about the gravitational waves. So that would be, for example, interesting to invite this team back combined with them. Um, and you know, we have different topics where we now have, and then um, Detlef Weigel, for example, was here. And he he said he was so sorry that he missed uh, a talk a few days before from his colleague. So he wished he was there. So I'll I'll probably invite them uh, as a team then together. And yeah, so I think we have different and and we heard from some pe- speakers interest in doing that in the future. So yeah, we should definitely plan that better. And go through all the yeah we have so many guest speakers also coming up so um, yeah we should do that and Rupesh will well it won't be now but you know maybe after maybe in the fall um, because we have booked rooms until the twentieth of June or twenty third if I'm not mistaken and then it's kind of the summer. Uh, people won't be around too much so we can plan for after the summer for sessions like this I think and to also not over like annoy people with our you know (laughs) with with our sessions so you know that we don't annoy the guest speakers to come back and back so yeah I think it would be would be really interesting I think myself as a member and not as a guest so I'm like don't come here anytime like it's, it's a pleasure like to hear people talk and it's really you know exciting sometimes to hear what they have here yeah and today we heard your talk that's that's amazing uh it was really great uh rupesh i have uh, uh more questions <laughs> if okay so the uh First, first of all, what's your plan? Are you uh, moving on to, to getting a faculty? And also in your research, in your PhD research, how long does it take you? I mean, during your work, uh, the uh, what what takes more time? Like the preparation of the materials? Do you have to do the lab yourself, or or the theory computation? Uh, it's mostly uh, the theory and computation because uh, the first first of all is the idea. Uh, like uh, once you uh, know that Spager has really sharp emission uh, spectra, uh, you you need to uh, harness like some properties so you will combine them with like certain type of material which can possibly create a new phenomena. Uh, but along with that, the challenges are uh, you you need to express as a theoretical you need to express them in terms of code. And uh, for my calculation, I think. Uh, 
to I had to divide that uh, TMDC into some 1500 segments uh, and calculate the field in each of them uh, using code. So a lot of coding in the and all of them should be put into one differential equation because the because the the evolution of plasmon is in with respect to their time. So you have say 1500 equation in one time. So this is just being technical uh, in terms of coding, but besides that uh yeah because uh we, the lab part i haven't really touched it uh, my professor uh like he uh, my advisor was there he he used to get involved in uh, experimental research as well like, so he also really helped me on all these uh setting up these ideas but he would just give a hint like okay how about you try this and we would try to you know uh, make a system that would support the case I see. So, uh, in terms of coding, seems uh, that this is all you have to do all that you know, start from C or 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 what do you Python or something. And uh, any uh, so available like uh, software like uh, quantum, you know what do you, what do you call quantum chem chemistry type of uh, uh, DFT or or some other. Oh no, I didn't. I didn't use limericks or DFT. Those, though, it's one of the, uh, also one of the available tools in there. I just use some Mathematica, MATLAB, and Python. You know, but uh, we try to express the field equation uh, in in terms of uh, uh, the theoretically given mode, like we say say there's a Legendre polynomial. So we, you know, it's it's not like you have to, you know. Uh, simulate the structure there. However, uh, the expression of the field, we calculated all, all the uh, the field value, and then we had to multiply with. Uh, we had to like you know see the interaction with the dipole. So it's not like DFT or lumerics, uh, but uh, yes, fair amount of calculation, I would say. Yeah, I mean, very interesting. I mean, this. Uh, so yeah, I guess you you probably you know uh, uh, already move on to postdocs, and uh, this is a you know I'm looking forward to you know in terms of application and uh, uh, theory wise, probably it's also I mean this is topological materials. It's very it's in very red hot right right now. So uh, maybe some new quasi particles that you <laughs> try. You know. It's, very interesting. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I'll, I'll, you know, Abyss is, Abyss, uh, uh, Mike is yours. Uh, thank, yeah, thanks, Frank. Uh, so, Rupesh, I have an, a question for you. I uh, hope I'm more audible now. I switch uh, different system. So, uh, you said that biological systems are very difficult to deal with, and I agree with that. Um, have you experimented with different kinds of um, plasmon resonance energies that you can actually pick up from your system because um i think like um even though like for metaparticles and nanoparticles mostly you can actually find the plasmon resonance um whether it's bulk or whether it's uh, surface you can actually do that from uh, i mean like at least from theoretical uh, estimation and you can go down from there. But I'm just wondering if that's possible for biological systems and what you have observed if you've done any work in that in that area. Uh, 
uh, I think uh, uh, there, there was a part I mentioned, like in 2018, there is a paper, uh, it's called Spacer is a Biological Probe, where they did this experiment uh, in mouse. So they inject, literally injected that spacer, which is very uh, like nanoscale thing, uh, nanoparticle inside the mouse and uh, uh, coated with a dye. So when they, when, when they signed the light, it was able to identify the cancer cell. So it's not like it cannot be used. It's just like, you know, uh, really hard to tune in sometimes since the requirement of biological, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, what do you call it, the health requirement is very high, so hard for human trials and all this. Gotcha, so you, you're saying that you need a, some kind of contrasting agent, whether that's a nanoparticle, whether it's endogenous or exogenous, is that is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Got it, thank you. Yeah, do you have uh, more questions, anyone? Um, if not, um, I would like to thank you so much, Upesh, for coming and presenting. And uh, this was such a great uh, power a presentation and um, the, the images, um, all the figures were really really good so I appreciate you taking the time to explain this to us better so we can understand your work and um, thank you everyone for coming um, to the Science Society uh, we will have more rooms uh, to, um, this week since we have more people from Europe uh, we will have them at an earlier hour um, so tomorrow we have a room at 1 p.m. EST and Dr. Alahem um, talking about Parkinson's disease-specific gene signatures. And on Friday, we will have at 2 p.m. EST Dr. Sarwood from IBM in Switzerland, and he will talk about two of his papers. One is pretty recent and the other one he just published another one that he told me today about uh, neuromorphic computing neural networks. Um, that will be really interesting. And then next week we'll have um, again more guests because we will have Dr. Spontek talking about improving efficacy um, of uh, CO2 capture and Dr. Finger, how he uh, uh, could um, transplant pancreatic isolates to cure diabetes. Um, that will be really exciting. And um, artificial uh, photosynthesis systems for CO2 capture uh, will be on Friday. And then we'll have another physics um, room with Dr. Shoshani. He was recently, he summarized from a conference um, different um, presentations about faster than light travel and time travel. Uh, he's a theoretical physicist and he's summarizing work, his work and also from 
a few of his colleagues um, and presented to us. So thank you so much for coming and uh, a special thanks to our special uh, guest speaker today, uh, Rupesh, uh, Dr. Rupesh. And uh, yeah, have a good evening or morning or wherever you are. Thank you. Bye, Thank you. Thanks, good. Thanks, Thank everyone. You Bye. Here. Thanks. I'm so sorry. I didn't close the room. I pressed the wrong button. <laughs> so. I'll do it. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Oh, God. Bye.